3: This episode of Android Faithful is brought to you by Awesome. The Awesome Privacy Cable gives you much-needed control over when and how your data is shared. Get more info at awesomeprivacy.com slash privacycable.
0: Welcome to Android Faithful, your weekly source for the latest news, hardware, and apps in the wide, foldable, flippable, and occasionally private world of Android. I'm Quintweetdao.
3: And I am Ron Richards.
2: And I'm Michelle Rahman.
0: And our guest this week is Chief Privacy Officer at Awesome and whose career speaks for itself in regards to her knowledge, experience, and firsthand engagement in cybersecurity, consumer protections, and in particular data privacy, as well as policy around these critical issues. Evan Drake-Faithful, please welcome to the show, Mary Stone-Ross. Hi, Mary.
4: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, we we, pre- we yeah. really appreciate you joining us. We really
3: we, so we we uh, so so to get ahead of it. Awesome has been so fantastic in joining us as our inaugural sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, and in talking when we were talking to the fine folks at Awesome, Ryan, our good buddy, um, we said we'd love to have someone on from Awesome to talk about privacy. And Mary, you 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 drew the the short straw. <laughs> I, uh,
4: well, I mean, this is what I live for. So very <laughs> very happy to be
3: here. Excellent, excellent. Um, So, Mary, let's let's dive right into it and get started. We'd love to hear a little bit about you and how you got to this spot. Um, I know that uh, you you were the co-author of the California Consumer Privacy Act, um, which sounds very, very important. Um, (laughs) Can you tell us about your journey in the world of privacy and technology?
4: Yeah, I can. So we moved to California in 2015 at at COVID time. I I lost track of all sense of time, but it was a long time ago. Um, And when we moved out there, I didn't have any background in privacy at all. In fact, my background was working for the government and I I worked for the CIA. I was counsel on the House Intelligence Committee. So kind of the opposite. Wow. Um, Yeah. And we moved out there. I had a a startup um, helping parents help their kids with homework. And we were at the baby stage. And I had the choice to either go make it into a real company and raise funds or do something else. And at the time, I met a real estate developer that had an idea to do something on privacy using California's crazy initiative process. And he's like, oh, you're a lawyer. You have, like, some policy experience. Why don't you help me? Um, And so that kicked off the beginnings of the initiative that ended up getting passed by the legislature that is now the California Consumer Privacy Act.
3: Wow. So what is the California Consumer Privacy Act? Like what what does it do for those those who don't know, for the uninitiated?
4: (laughs) So for the New Yorkers and the Texans in the crowd, um, the CCPA gives all Californians the right to find out what information companies are collecting about you, the right to opt out of the sale of your information. So if you're, you may not see it because a lot of companies geolocate, locate, um, but a lot of them do provide it to lots of different people. Or if you're in California, you'll see a do not sell my personal information. And that's actually thanks to CCPA. So you can opt out of, of and sales defined really broad. So it's selling or sharing or tracking with cookies. Um, and so you can opt out of that. And then it gives you the right to have very clear privacy policies. So one of the things that I have seen is that privacy policies, they're still very onerous to read, but it's, it's much clearer. And so if you even scroll down to where they'll say your
0: California privacy rights, it'll look much
4: better. So you can find out what information is
0: collected and what is done with that information. Yeah, and the and this sorry, the CCPA was passed in 2018. Is that right, Mary? That's
4: correct. Yeah, and then it was amended by another initiative. Um, But yeah, it's in effect
0: now. How do you think that you know? So so that's so it's been five years since then. And do you think that the public, either because of you know initiatives like the CCPA or just kind of naturally, do do you find that people are more and more aware of the data privacy? Because I feel like you know it's been a long time, unfortunately, where. We've been, we've all been on the internet. We've had smartphones for at least 10 years. And unfortunately, it's only kind of just now where, you know, we cover now very increasingly security and privacy all the time. You know, companies like Google and Apple are trying to catch. Catch up is not quite the right word, but maybe band ca- Yeah, I try to avoid try to avoid. But how do you you know, as someone who you know, has worked on policy and, and obviously, you know, you, you know, like being out and actually engaging with this, do you find that people are increasingly aware and concerned about privacy? Or is this kind of like part of or or is part of the process like, hey, hey everybody, your data's out there and it shouldn't be? What what's what's your been what's kind of been your take yeah, on, on so as like folks?
4: When we first started researching ccpa it was a totally different world and all the time you would hear why should i care about this what is the harm and i think that conversation it's it's still there right every once in a while you hear that but to a much lesser extent and i think part of that is is because laws like ccpa have given it's a tool it's a tool for journalists to go and say like oh let me see what these companies are actually doing and what they're collecting and like Oh, Grindr is collecting social security numbers and HIV status. Maybe that's, yeah, it's a real, it was a real setting. Oh my maybe gosh, that, maybe really? Maybe that's something that should not happen.
0: And then it's forced companies to kind
4: of change their their habits and their policies.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm actually a little stunned. I'm sorry. I almost like fell back in my chair hearing that. Well, um, I can understand. No, it's, it's, I
3: could understand that yeah. grinder or like another one where people are on it for sexual activity. They want to know and, yeah. sh- and fr- proactively share their status, right? Because there's a whole, you know, like right. that's a whole other. let's let's not go down that road of sexual health. <laughs>
0: yeah, important though, but but, um, but
4: actually health yeah. is is one of those categories where I think people assume that they're protected because of HIPAA, which is the, every time you go to a doctor's office, right? Like you sign the the HIPAA waiver that all your information is protected, but HIPAA only, sorry, I'm going to go into legalese, but HIPAA is only pertains to covered entities and covered entities is defined very specifically as hospitals and doctor's offices. So when you're collecting health information on your smartwatch or on your Fitbit or, going to like a, a period tracking or, or website, but it's all of this information that's very, very sensitive health information is actually not protected under our current regulatory environment. So you need laws like CCPA and hopefully someday a federal privacy law to actually protect
0: us. Wow. That's a really interesting point that, you know, there, that and, and like Ron, that Ron, you made also, is that there are positive intentions with some of this data collection, but yeah. You know, and I, I think, especially as a developer, I've seen it where we have good intentions, but maybe we don't necessarily see all the impacts of the decision we make to track certain data and send it off somewhere. Um, did, did you find that the kind of, um, I guess, response or kind of the engagement from businesses was positive, was less positive? Was it a fight or was it kind of like, oh, shoot, we got to do something. We should play ball. Like, how, how, how was it?
4: So it was To back up a little bit, Mm -hmm. the CCPA was going to be an initiative on the ballot in 2018. And California has this very powerful process where it theoretically and saying theoretically because it's really expensive. Any any citizen can collect enough signatures and get their law on the ballot. And if it passes it it, by a majority, so 50 percent plus one, it becomes law. And then the only way to change it is through another initiative, which is it's really a difficult thing to change it if that happens. Um, The original version of the CCPA went much further. The initiative version went much further than what was passed by the legislature, including the enforcement provision, which gave anyone whose rights were violated by a private company under the CCPA the right to go sue that company. So if you asked them to stop selling your personal information and they, they didn't, you could go suit them. That was an existential threat to Google, Apple, uh, Verizon, like the, the big uh, uh, Comcast, like they were all against us. So in 2017, when we put it on the ballot, they formed a political action committee to oppose us. At the beginning, it was just like $100,000 to pay to play. And then Cambridge Analytica happened.
3: And a moment in, time, of a sudden, moment in time, right? Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah, we're like, thank you, Facebook. Like, you. Guys-
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. One of the few people who are happy about Cambridge Analytica. Not,
4: <laughs> oh, but it was like again. Going back to the point I made before, yeah. the um, that the that the conversation was around why should I care? Like yeah. here, this this her point, like. You do a Facebook personality test to see if you're more like an apple than an orange. And all of a sudden that data and whatever other data is underneath it is used to send you political ads and manipulate you. And so it, it, it proved our point. Wow. Uh, So there is a lot of pressure on the legislature and it ended up getting passed and it was a long sordid tale and, I actually didn't support the I, – I, I supported going through the legislative process, but because we had this, like, poison pill in it with the private random action, I think we actually could have gone even further in the legislation that we did. But but still, it's done a lot of good.
3: Cool. So do you have a lot of friends in the EU on the GDPR crew <laughs> or, like <laughs> –
4: Yeah, no. So it was it was very – We I, I can't say that we weren't influenced by GDPR, but it was – it just so happened that GDPR went into effect right when all this was happening. It was really coincidental. So it was, and we were really sensitive, especially in California. There's like the sense of oh, like European technology sucks and they don't do anything. and They're not creative. So we, we purposefully wanted to stay away from copying GDPR because we didn't, because it was going to be a political campaign. We didn't want that to be one of the ads against us that you're going to kill the California economy and kill the internet and you won't be able to order toilet paper on Amazon
3: Right, which is the concern with this sort of stuff is like, but it's it, as someone who just went through a GDPRification of a website, it it, it was not fun. So like, yeah, <laughs> and, and ca- at least we had the California privacy stuff in place before that, um, so we had taken one step closer from there. But um, so so how do you go from working on that to joining the the cool folks at Awesome?
4: At Awesome, so I. I- I had once I delved so deeply into privacy. I, I truly believe in 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 privacy, and I also believe in technology. That it's, I mean, like as someone who actually got toilet paper from Amazon today, like I, I, I couldn't live without it. And um, I also saw though we had this like golden moment of time where the tech companies they still were actually not spending that much on lobbying. I don't think they were very concerned about the regulatory process. Um, since then the regulation has become so broken so we're passing very weak data privacy laws there's no federal legislation the wrong people i think are in the room to actually write this legislation and it's, it's so it's so hard to write because technology changes faster than the laws are actually implemented and so they they're never there's never going to be good privacy legislation because it just it it's it can't be written. It, mm. it, and so I had this opportunity with awesome to address the same sort of privacy concerns, um, but through a solution that involves technology. And so we are creating hardware and software that you hear privacy by design all the time. And it's a BS term that is like more retrospective than actually truly thinking about privacy first, but at Awesome, that's where we start. We start with trying to figure out um, what makes sense by minimizing data collection, still giving people technology that people want to use and that's easy to use and that isn't full of bloatware, um, but is very mindful and respectful of actually giving people control of their personal information.
2: So, Mary, I had a question Uh, I wanted to ask you about your opinions on how companies like Google, um, like Meta, are responding to, you know, the there's not like a lot of legislation that are forcing them to make changes with the way they collect like um, cookies on their websites and across apps. But, you know, we're seeing companies like Google roll out the privacy sandbox initiative on the Web and, of course, on mobile, which is one of the things we wanted to talk about. So I wanted to ask, you know, what are your opinions on this initiative in particular from Google? Because I know that there's a lot of mixed debate from industry, um, you know, professionals who feel that Google is kind of pushing this forward through without everyone else being on board first. So I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on this.
4: Sure. So I want to first say that any movement that makes things more privacy protective, I think are good. And I think that again, like just having the conversation about how much data is collected and what types of data is collected is good. Um, with that said, I'm pretty cynical. I, I think that if you look at when Google was unveiling the privacy sandbox, it's a timeline of, of when actually these data privacy regulations were were coming online. And I I think like even more so in Europe than in the U S and so it was, it was 2019 when they first unveiled privacy sandbox and the flock, which was their original, um, they were going to put people into cohorts based on their online browsing activity. So it wouldn't be supposedly be traced to one single individual, but just a, a, a cohort of, they never said the exact number. Um, the problem, though, is that you're still using pieces of personal information to target individuals. And again, um, the power to target is the power to discriminate. So if we go back to the original question of what is the harm here? And so even though these flocks and now they're they're um, changing the name of it, but it's, it's still like somewhat similar to what it was before, um, Google is still allowed to target individuals and still allowing their advertisers like that's where the money comes from right like it's their business model i can't not do that and so when that's your business model there's no incentive to change it um so there's things like using your credit history for housing and it's, it's not necessarily your credit score but it's there's proxies so you can see how much money a, pe- a person earns or what types of websites they're looking at wow. and You can discriminate against them. That's brutal.
2: So just to follow up on that, what, in your opinion, would a universe where advertisers and identifiers can coexist with privacy, like, what would that look like if it's not Google's vision? (laughs)
4: Right. So, I mean, I, in my ideal universe, I would get rid of targeted advertising that it's, you go back to the model where you're watching, everybody's watching CBS or ABC or whatever television network you're watching, but everybody is seeing the same advertisement. And so it's, it's, you're still seeing ads, ads by their nature are manipulative. They're trying to get you to do something, but it's not, not targeted to you as a basic of a demographic and a, but to Look, we,
3: to play devil's advocate though, as someone who's received targeted ads on Instagram, which I'm pretty sure because Instagram listens to my conversations, I don't know, but it's it's actually better improvement. Yeah, yeah. But but what I'm saying is is that like I get ads that I like to see, and then I've actually purchased the uh, purchased because they're targeted to me. So like, so like, how do you balance, you know, the technology has enabled us to customize ads based on their interest. Isn't there a world where that is pro so, consumer? Or, yeah.
4: But I think that's your personal preference, right? right. And so right. that is a model where what it should be is that you can opt into it. So the default would be that you choose and to see those personal ads and maybe you you don't but they don't even need that much personal information right, right? like they can, you can say the categories of interest that you tell them like not that they're following you around the internet and yep. discerning from whatever website you're going to or what IP address you're logging in from that you might be interested in and and you make that decision not google or who's ever feeding you those advertisements so i agree like hmm. sometimes it's it's helpful but it's it shouldn't be the Wizard of Oz behind the screen that's pulling those strings.
3: I will say uh, Clinton in our chat room said, I usually get targeted ads for stuff I already (laughs) bought, which I I, like – 60% 60% of what I see is stuff I've already bought. Like, I wish I could just be like, Fair. I bought that. You did it already. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: You see what your kids are looking for. Online yeah, well, too. thankfully
3: I'm not there yet, but I'm very afraid of that. Um, anyway, Huin, here's a- yeah. I
0: mean, to, to back up, just talk about the privacy sandbox real quick. So we, we, there was a slight story, um, last couple weeks from the developer blog about, you know, this developer sandbox, which is basically kind of a suite of tools that, and that Google has announced to kind of address you know, the previous and they call themselves out for blunt approaches. And traditionally, you know, Google has, you know, Google and other, you know, folks that make money off of ads will use tools such as the ad idea, which is basically a device, you know, specific identifier that they can use to track your behavior across apps and websites. And so I'm feeling very cynical as I'm describing this. So please, please acknowledge that while I'm describing what the privacy (laughs) sandbox is, but there's a lot of talk on, you know, the developer, you know, website and, and, and like kind of product websites about how, you know, free content is super important on the internet y'all, but free content is supported by ads. So in the, you know, and, and so I think it's so interesting to see that, that framing in so many different places in this blog post in, you know, kind of saying, well, this is really great because the idea is that they want to basically, um, Wind down usage of again the Google advertising ID, which does identify you by your device and tracks you know your data, your your activity across apps and websites, and sends it out there to kind of something which honestly, as I'm reading this, is just extremely hard to understand. I'm not very good on the ad tech <laughs> side, but it's it it almost feels like making you feel safer through obfuscation and confusion rather than anything else. But the idea is that. The activity like like as and as Mary mentioned, like you like advertisers can target cohorts can target they think they call them custom audiences, basically groups of people that have certain characteristics or behaviors in common, like hey, like the example they gave is like, hey, you left a bunch of stuff in your you know shopping cart or hey, yep. you completed this many levels of a game, and to target those audiences. Without, you know, I guess the advertiser themselves, you know, saying, hey, you device XYZ, you device PXY are part of this cohort. All the data about you or what custom audiences you are in or cohorts you're in is kept locally on the phone. But someone still knows that and someone's still tracking that. And it's still, as I mentioned, again, not my field ad tech, but at the same time, it's still a very, obfuscated just trust us because we're Google and there's still a lot of kind of like confusion around it but that's what Google is working on and they're testing on different they're testing these different um, kind of solutions to try to alleviate this. And
4: I want to go back to the first point you made that they keep on saying like oh like this, it's the free model that you that we're all dependent upon and that's the fallacy in the argument is that yes like that's I think what was the boom to all these companies and what made them so big and what they are today. But I don't know that it all has to be free and that we have to pay by giving away very sensitive and personal pieces of information. And I I think that you have some models that are proving that people actually are, if the product is good, people are willing to pay for it. So for example, Strava, like people are willing to pay for it. Or we were just hiking in Idaho and all trails like, I I pay for my subscription, and I would probably pay more for it because it's an awesome product. And I and so there's that's the fallacy right there. But it's also what Google and Facebook are dependent upon because their model is ad supported revenue.
3: And and it's and it's interesting to see how much that money. The money side of it drives the conversation i mean like we 're all, all I often say this i 've said this for years in you know podcasting about Android and technology is that like the vision of what technology can give us often runs straight into that wall of capitalism right <laughs> and and shareholder value and ultimately greed right which which you know and, and like we like to think that we you know so much you know so much of so much of the world of technology comes from a noble place and we want a better society and things like that. But ultimately the things that are really driving are the people who are driving shareholder value. Um, you know, which is why like an organization like Mozilla or whomever out there you see struggle because they're trying to do, you know, kind of what they see is what is good for all the internet. Um, and so like, it's interesting, you know, you being an awesome to see kind of at a company that's taking that position in terms of how privacy is important and to try to merge that vision with a proper way to approach it with, you know, talking, walking the walk, but also being a substantial business. Yeah. yeah. And
4: look, like, I mean, it will definitely be a struggle. We are (laughs) taking on the biggest players, but I, I think that there is a market for it. And I think that we're doing it the right way. Right on.
3: Well, cool. Well, we appreciate, I mean, this is great. We wanted to, we've been wanting to hear from somebody who knows privacy and like you are, you wrote the the, the law. So uh, that's <laughs> great to have it. So we want to thank you for, for that. Um, and you're going to hang out with us for the, as we talk through uh, the week's st- stuff. Uh, so curious to hear what you think of the various go, comings and goings in Android. Um, <laughs> but so uh, we'll dive right into the news and Michelle, you got the first story here
2: for us. That's right, Ron. And this is going to be a quick one because, you know, we want to get through the rest of the news. But basically, um, Google published a blog post that covers um, some of the changes that have been going on with ART or the Android runtime, which is literally the engine that powers, you know, apps, the OS on your device. So as Google explains, like all Java and Kotlin code is eventually compiled down into bytecode that's executed by the Android runtime on your device. And ART um, updates are provided through Google Play system updates. In other words, they're literally pushed through Google Play. And even though this is a core component of the OS, it's able to receive updates through Google Play thanks to the Project Mainline initiative that Google announced way back with Android 10. And basically, Google just talks about all the things that this enables, that they're able to roll out security fixes, uh, compiler optimizations, and various other fixes and improvements that enable them to do things like roll out performance enhancements that Give up to thirty percent um, app startup time improvement. So you see, um, if you're watching the video, feed this little chart right here. Google showed like after they rolled this out, um, they were measuring the average app startup time on some devices, and there was significant performance improvement after they rolled it out. And so basically, the Google just highlighting the work they've done over the last couple of months, because this is kind of one of those changes that was actually introduced in Android 12, which is when Art Android runtime became a project mainline module, but You know, the way Google works is they do a lot of work and then they, you know, go look back and say, here's all the work we've been doing over the coming months and here's what's coming next. So that's basically the gist of this blog post and this announcement.
3: Well, I got to say, making the startup times like those, whenever I see an app open up with the, the loading screen. I always feel like we failed a little somehow in the world, right? <laughs> I mean, when you're a developer, what, is this a big deal for you? Or? It
0: is a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. I, there have been actually even uh, developer-centric APIs that are meant to kind of help us like bootstrap things a little bit faster, and you know, um, uh, either kind of create profiles. Like there's this thing called baseline profiles, which is meant to kind of help you do certain things a little bit faster and make startup times faster, and even just um, even just splash screen APIs to kind of give you a little bit of, you know, like to kind of trick your trick user brains into thinking that things are faster. So both a can there's both like very concrete, you know, initiatives to make your app start faster and then also just things to make it feel faster. So yeah, it's a big deal. So anything that's actually concrete and actually makes it faster is a little bit easier because only so much a splash screen can do uh on an impatient user. As as an impatient user myself, I empathize. So no hate there.
3: Mary, how's your how's your user patience? Are you patient with apps or <laughs> I you
4: I, I have zero patience. <laughs>
0: Demand better from us, please. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, all right cool. Well, thanks for the rundown
3: there, Michelle. Um, and every week we go out to our loyal patrons over at patreon.com slash androidfaithful to help us out with some of the news because we can't talk about everything. Um, and if you go to patreon.com androidfaithful, sign up to become a patron. Um, we love you for doing it. You can, you can join for as little as, as anything you want, really. Uh, but uh, everyone who's a patron uh, gets to chime in and vote on a story for us to talk about about each week. Uh, and this week, the three choices were uh, YouTube Music rolling out lyric support. Um, Snapdragon 8 Gen 3 was allegedly spotted. Uh, both of those got 20% of the vote. Um, But the winner of this week with 61% of the vote, which did not surprise me, and uh, as an Outlook user, I was happy to see, uh, Google Calendar is finally playing nice with Outlook. Um, And if you uh, live in in both sandboxes of the world, Google and Outlook, you know that it's 2023, and it's a pain (laughs) in the butt. Um, Mary, are you on Outlook or on Google at all? No,
4: that's what I I was laughing. I I
3: had to use Outlook once, and it was not a very nice experience. So I, for my day job— use Outlook and it is and when's you're raising your hand there yeah so Uh um, even just getting Google Calendar set up to share my calendar with my wife on Google Calendar so she can see when I'm available took like a week to figure out it was it was brutal yeah I know but uh, I didn't put a lot of time into it but still but anyway so um, so so now thankfully uh, Google Calendar now will display the name uh, and roles of Microsoft Outlook users who invite Google Calendar users to meetings Um, this is gonna Roll out gradually to all the Google Workspaces and personal Gmail accounts. Uh, starting, uh, it started last week actually, so it started rolling out there. Um, and this goes along with some new features that they added, including you know specifying a work location, integrating appointment scheduling in the Gmail, um, and of course material you uh, in the Google Calendar widgets for Android. So uh, I gotta say it's nice to see them. Like it's so funny. There are so many different areas of Google and Android and things like that. And sometimes you wonder if they for, if like the product like do they forget about this? Are they are they doing anything here? So is not in Google, Google Calendar. And they were
4: just trying to push people into Google Calendar. Yeah,
3: exactly. And Google <laughs> Calendar is such an integral part. I mean, calendaring and business is such an integral part of everything. Um, and so it's great. You know, Lord knows. You know, being on both sides of the fence, having all my side hustle businesses in Google and my day job being an Outlook, it just sometimes be maddening and. Even even I, I, getting an ICS and importing it never worked. It's, oh, it's just, my gosh. Oh, it's brutal. It's oh, painful. Sorry. Um, so I was glad There's to see like that. It's like in
4: the wrong time zone.
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, the time zones. <laughs> and Outlook – Outlook will automatically adjust your time zone and not tell you. And so I'm getting meeting invites. And I think when I'm in California, I'm like, <laughs> right, r- 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 when- I'm sorry.
0: The audio <laughs> <I>, <laughs> listeners, Wynne is I'm just making a lot of eyes, like like angry eyes right now at everything we're <laughs> on Yeah.
3: So um, it was definitely uh, definitely a welcome, welcome, uh, a welcome change for sure. So, all right, cool. Well, we are going to pause for a moment and we are going to thank our awesome sponsor of which Mary is uh, is a part of uh, awesome products. And you spell that for audio listeners, O S O M um, and awesome products are the fine people who uh, make the awesome privacy cable. Um, and it gives you much needed control over when and how your data is shared. Uh, and what it is is it's basically, it's a USB cable uh, and it's, it's an ingenious USB cable. It's got a built in switch to enable or disable USB data And it's got an awesome LED light that flashes when data might be detected. Uh, And what that does is that gives you control. The switch gives you the final say as to when uh, data is actually transferred from your device with the security of an air gap. So whether you're worried about public chargers or you want to stop a connection when plugging into a car or a friend's laptop, no matter what, you are in charge. Especially if you hop into an Uber and you want to charge up your phone, you don't want that Uber driver possibly to be getting your data. You want to to lock that data down. Um, And listen, software is fantastic, but what we've learned over life is that hardware can be better than software. Um, Some phones and tablets uh, claim to block USB data through software uh, and all software systems might have vulnerabilities. Um, And some Android devices can allow data in certain circumstances, even when it claims to be disabled. But the privacy cable blocks all USB data when the switch is set to disabled. And best of all, and this is my favorite thing, and I got to grab it because it's over here. The... Cable is durable, all right? I love this cable. I love <laughs> hardware design and I love what the folks at Awesome have done with this. This cable has got that awesome nylon um uh wheat woven kind of wrapper around it. Um it looks really nice. It's a braided nylon sleeve and it's got adenized aluminum end caps right, to keep your data protected uh, with that lovely USB uh, hookup there. Uh, So from all the scrapes and dings of travel to the grind of daily life, it's totally built to last, and it shows. Um, So very, very cool, and I definitely respect the product design over at Awesome uh, for sure. Uh, So the switch enables and disables the USB data pins. The LED light flashes when data may be detected as as being transmitted. It's got USB Type-C to Type-C. It supports USB power delivery up to 60 watts, up to 20 volts, and 3 amps. And USB 2.0 data speeds, and best of all, you can get it for the low, low price of $30 on Amazon.com. That's right, just for $30 on Amazon, you can have the awesome privacy data cable. Uh, and all, all, awesome's been such a great supporter of Android Faithful. Uh, we want to thank them for their support. Uh, and you know, it's easy to make the joke that they're awesome, but honestly, (laughs) they're pretty awesome. So, thank you, awesome. You're 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 pretty great. That's OSOM. Privacy.com slash privacy dash cable, or head over to Amazon and search for OSOM privacy cable. And we thank awesome for their support. Thank you, Mary. We really appreciate it. You're so, so. welcome.
4: Do you, do you know what awesome stands for?
3: No Ooh, scoop. Oh. What do you stand for? So it's
4: out of sight, out of mind. So um, what we wanted to do is a lot of, there's been privacy focused hardware in the past, but it's always been very hard to use. yeah And so we wanted to flip it around and show that you can actually produce privacy protective hardware. That's easy to use and that you
3: want to use. Love so. it. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate it. I love my <laughs> cable. I've, I've used it in the field. I, I can, it's, in my, it's in my laptop uh, backpack and I take it with me into New York City and I know my data is protected. So that's awesome. Time. Time. So, cool. All right.
1: Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind.
3: So, with that, we're going to get into some fun hardware stories here. Here we go. So, when you got the first one,
0: yeah. So, from OSO. M to Oppo, Oppo today, August 29th, twenty twenty three, launched in China their new flippable and their new watch. So the Find N three Flip and the Watch Four Pro were launched today in China. Um, we love the flippables here, and what I absolutely love about the Find N three Flip, and I, I, when I saw this, when I saw this picture, I was like, Ron, we're gonna cover this. This oh, week, you okay.
2: got, <laughs> you got
0: so excited, like I, you messaged me, you're yeah. like, we're we're covering this. <laughs> so it, it's kind of crazy. Because I feel like um, on previous shows we talked about the find uh, sorry the find n two very recently and I know like our very own Florence Ion you know in kind of con- comparing these different flippables, it's a lot of it is about the cover screen of course and we talked a lot about the Z Fold five and the Razer Plus but what was kind of delightful about the find n two was this portrait you know very tall cover screen which Flo noted looked very much like a smartphone so it's almost like a kind of like a tiny mirror. Of your inner inner screen on your outer screen. Well, if you're not able to see it on the audio stream, well, on the on the audio only, I encourage you to go Google Google this or search it or Bing whatever you feel like you you look for it. Bing. Because come on, when Bing. Bing, I'm I don't know. We got it, you know like they're doing the I don't know ChatGPT right. So I guess trying to be inclusive. Um, so imagine the find into two with that kind of smartphone looking cover screen. And next to it, rather than that kind of, I think it was like two or three, um, you know, simple lenses on the outside. Imagine one of those round, huge camera units, which by the way, looks very much the Oppo Find X6, uh, camera unit with, you know, a beautiful big round button full of three camera units and Hasselblad, of course, because Hasselblad partners with Oppo, you know, emblazoned across the middle and just stick that right next to the cover screen. And that's what you got. It was like, it's, it's basically taking the, the car, the uh, find into, and sticking on this amazing, you know, um, camera unit on it. So it's kind of like it, it, it actually reminds me of last week we were talking to, um, our dear, our dear friend Eileen about kind of like flippables and cameras. Well, you know, I don't think they have the that crazy one inch, you know, Sony sensor in this, which is in the Oppo Find X6. But mm. these cameras blow the Z Fold 5s out of the water, um, and I think that is just one of the big things about this. Is that while Z Fold 5 has a 12 megapixel ultra wide and a 12 megapixel main. This huge Hasselblad branded camera unit has a 32 megapixel telephoto, a 48 megapixel ultrawide, and a 50 megapixel main. And, you know, just throw in a 32 megapixel front facing for that. Um, you want other specs? You want other specs as well? Well, you've got a MediaTek Dimensity 9000 plus. You've got 12 gigabytes of RAM and you got between 956 giga- gigabytes and 512 gigabytes of storage. Um, and those are, will translate to dollars about approximately 932 to 1042 USD for those two models, which is affordable, um, which is affordable. In the Which is of affordable. Yeah, which is, yeah. yeah, definitely affordable. Um, I mean, for amazing cameras, um, I think also that it has a 4,300, 4,400 milliamp battery with, um you know um it also there's a lot a lot of specs i think right now the specs are all in the chinese release um and i mean i i talk about it but this might very well be a phone that we can't get in the us we'll see they are announcing a global launch very soon quotes soon we're not exactly sure but for you foldable and flippable fans that might be able to get one it looks very compelling and it definitely is something that you know, competes in that football football bowl slash camp clamshell category in a lot of different ways. So I don't know. What do you think? Would you, would you buy that phone? I mean, like with the crazy, well, with the crazy camera unit? Well, yeah. Well, Mary, I'm curious. What do you think
3: of foldables these days? Are you, uh, <laughs> do, you think, do you think it's a fad or is the real deal?
4: I, um, <laughs> I'm laughing because we have this, this, it's the team from Awesome came from Essential, and so the phone that was never launched, but a bunch of them still hold on to, yep. is the Gem. And so there is a loud um, group within Awesome that would love to bring back Gem. And Gem is a small phone. Yeah. Um, so... I hope there's a market there
3: cause I've yeah. seen it's, really I mean, it's, of hard, it's hard then. to, it's hard to argue <laughs> that the, the foldables change in the world. And I'm small phones that we we've talked about small phones on our old show. I love the idea of that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think all different form factors We're pro that because variety is the spice of life and we get bored yeah. with just the, the same old candy bar. Well, the, so,
4: yeah. As someone that I'm not a fan of the big purse, I carry like a really small one. I would be all for,
3: a a good foldable. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, well, let's switch gears over to gaming. Michelle, what do you got here?
2: So Qualcomm last week actually announced a new uh, trio of chipsets, you know, the successor to its Snapdragon G3X processor that was um, debuted in the Razer Edge device. So for those of you from, who aren't familiar, the Razer Edge is a portable handheld gaming console that was launched at on Verizon exclusively, the 5G version. And it was quite pricey at launch. And, you know, people were kind of skeptical on, you know, whether or not this is actually going to be the future of gaming. But Qualcomm is pushing forward and they've debuted uh, three new chipsets in their G3 line. Sorry, their, their G line. They have the, the G1, the G2, and the G3X Gen 2. I know Qualcomm's naming is kind of, you know, confusing, but, uh, the specs here aren't really what's important. You know, you do have the G- the G1, which is like the lower end processor. You have the G2, which brings uh, 5G support. And you have the G3X Gen 2, which is um, more powerful than the Gen 1 by up to 2X in GPU performance. But uh, the reason I linked this Verge article in lieu of the press release from Qualcomm is um, I think it does a good job exploring really the context behind this device, what it means for Qualcomm and like, whether or not, you know, it's actually worth looking forward to in the future. So one of the things they brought up was quite interesting. They had an interview with the product manager. They talked about how Qualcomm is kind of looking beyond Android and even beyond Windows, potentially maybe launching something akin to, like, Linux with a compatibility layer. So uh, if you're familiar with the Steam Deck, that device doesn't run Windows. It runs Linux with a compatibility layer to get many games working on it. And so maybe Qualcomm's exploring that avenue, or maybe they are just, you know, hoping that, you know, Android devices pick up in the future. Right now, you know, in my experience, there aren't that many high, very demanding Android games out there. You know, you have Fortnite, you have uh, Genshin Impact, War Thunder, sorry, I think it's called, yeah, War Thunder just launched. Us, and uh, that game, for example, supports ray tracing on mobile on the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. But in my experience, it barely made a difference when I toggled it on and off. So kind of curious to see, you know, whether or not Qualcomm continues pushing these Snapdragon mobile gaming chipsets forward, and whether or not they're actually gonna be picked up right now. Uh, There was one great point brought up in the Verge article, you know, people kind of thought, what is Qualcomm doing with their VR chipsets, right? They've been making them for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden, uh, you started seeing them end up in Meta's Quest headsets, and those are wildly successful. So maybe like Qualcomm is betting—maybe not right now, but in like two, three years, or even four years and beyond, we'll start seeing a whole bunch of these gaming handhelds powered by Qualcomm chips.
3: And I mean, this is interesting because it's a—you know—it's a huge. I mean, that entertainment vertical is a huge opportunity if you get it right and gamers and like the, the my friends who have Steam Decks love their Steam Decks and you know they're they're right to be thinking in that direction and you know they're going to doesn't Qualcomm have an event coming up in October like uh their big Snapdragon kind of thing so like I feel like this is seeding the conversation ahead of that right as as we learn more about what Snapdragon can do from the Qualcomm folks so um I don't I don't have time to play games so that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Um, All right. Well, moving on to our last hardware story. I love when this happens in the world. It's been a while since we've had it, but uh, all the internet was a tizzy uh, when Asus reportedly shut down the (laughs) Zenfone division um, and uh, said that the Zenfone 10 would be the last uh, phone in the line as you can see here, if you're watching on the video, uh, as the article was updated to reflect the fact that this was not true. Um, and I feel for all my friends who work in PR and corporate PR, as uh, if you go to the uh, Asus Press uh, website, they have a statement that says the Asus Zenfone 10 to continue production. We would like to address the rumor that the Asus Zenfone 10 will be the last generation of the series and the Zenfone product line will be shut down. This is not true period (laughs) good for them and being directed to the point uh they say we will continue our two main phone business product lines the rog or rog rog phone and the zen phone uh Asus or Asus, I always mispronounce it. I'm sorry. Asus has a strong commitment to, to our smartphone business and customers. Please reference our Q2 earnings call for more information and stay tuned for our 2024 product lineups. So
0: kudos. Yes. Someone in the market department was having a really fun day. I mean, I'm sure it's onerous to have this like rumor go around, but the mic drop on this is not true. Bam. They probably yeah. I, if I were them, I would have gotten up and did a victory lap around my desk uh and then just added a little extra uh, sassy at the end of that.
3: Bravo. So. I feel, I feel like mm-hmm. if anybody, if anybody in the live chat is uh, submitting uh, episode titles, this is not true should be considered for one of them. <laughs> just like,
4: huh, huh, huh,
3: this is not true.
4: <laughs> I love it. Google cool. believes in privacy.
3: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I love when that stuff happens. So, uh, good job on ASUS for getting ahead of it and squashing the rumors. Um, because you want to do that when that happens. And, and Michelle, you got a Zen phone 10, didn't you? Or?
2: Yeah, yeah, I have one. I think I even showed it off you on did. the last time I was on. Yeah, yeah,
3: you did. It's been a couple of weeks. You still like it? or?
2: Yeah, I mean, I haven't really taken around, taking my time to actually use it properly, but yeah. it's definitely, you know, it's not much different from the Zenfone 9, and I love that Zenfone 9. I had it for months as my daily driver, yeah. so I'm not expecting much different with the Zenfone 10. All right.
3: Cool. Excellent. All right, well, that will wrap up hardware um, and we actually have a whole bunch of app news. I'm really excited because apps is always kind of like the area that we're like weakest on, um just because there's not always a ton of app news, but this week we were blessed with lots of them um and when uh, I feel like it's been a while since we've made this joke, but uh you can go for it
0: uh <laughs> yeah, so um, Google is finally getting on board with pretty much every other social network and even apps like signal and adding stories, or at least that is what code Assembly assemble debug and the team over at nine to five Google seem to have found. So Google is, experimenting like I think everyone else is with content and you know the different ways that we can you know I guess different tech companies can engage and get users more engaged with content and they actually published something they, they, they had something out in the wild called web stories which was announced in 2020 which is very much just again imagine snapchat instagram stories but you know basically g- generally portrait but highly visual highly interactable ways of like producing kind of slideshow like kind of content that you know is you know, very modern feeling, I guess, for lack of what wh- better way of saying it. Now, these web stories are actually more creator and publisher focused. Like I, I think I was looking at they're basically done through WordPress and other kind of like CSMS. Um, but what Assembly Bug and Nine to Five Google seem to have found is that Google is working on a way for users, us end users, to create stories basically and to be able to share them with other users. And not only that, but uh, Nine to Five Google also found what looks like, you know, the specific, very specifically, what looks like, you know, if you're an Instagram story person, very much like an S story editor with, you know, the kind of common things like stickers and text and and all kinds of things like that. Um, but not only that, Nine to Five Google also found something which is seems to be called notes, which allows users to drop comments on search results um, with content moderation in place, probably. Uh, and that these notes will be able to be seen by other you know, users and those users will be able to like and li- like slash heart these kind of things. So again, Google just kind of trying to tap in, you know, to that kind of story style that kind of again, very social media esque, highly visual, highly interactable, you know, way of formatting content. And the idea with web stories is that, you know, they're going to be able to be viewed through Google search images and discover. If you have used discover or anything like that, and notice like carousels with big tiles of like, you know, stories, that's basically what this is. So eventually it might be in the hands of us users for better or for worse, uh, and not just in the hands of content creators. So um, the notes itself, nine to five, Google has a source that says that they're probably going to be in labs, Google labs starting in September. So yeah, engagement, Interaction is any? Are any of y'all one in, interested in using any of this? Well, it's. it's just,
3: it was like I feel like it was a couple of years ago where like every app was rolling out stories. Like once they did, you know, like it, and didn't Slack was going to do stories and then they pulled it back.
2: Like it just. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for what it's worth. Oh, sorry. Were you going to go, Mary? No,
4: I was just going to make a joke. The Zoom story yeah. is you're on mute. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
2: I don't know if any of y'all have seen the existing stories show up in like the Google Discover feed, but the ones that are there already are really low quality. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, more high quality, more tier one publishers and like the ones we're all familiar with start picking up and start making stories so that we don't have, you know, the AI generated articles just turning whatever, you know, thing they plagiarize into stories. It's already a problem in the Google Discover feed. I don't, I don't know if you've been going through those articles.
0: It's just not interesting to me. I mean, I'll I'll be frank. It just hasn't been that interesting to me that it, it, I don't know, it, it just hasn't grabbed me in, and I don't, I don't think I use Google search results and in, in discover in the way that I use Instagram stories. So it just kind of feels like there's a disjoint there. It's just, it doesn't kind of fit how I personally search use Search
3: results are so transactional. Like you search for something yeah. and you want to get it back. You want to get that information. And honestly, I find stories to be distracting in this way, in the same way that I have the AI, uh, the generative AI Google labs thing turned on in my search results. And that's immensely distracting because it's, it's, just keeping me from getting from the search results. So like, I feel like search isn't something that you want to add stuff with. Just get
0: to the point, please. Kind of
3: exactly. Exactly. But that's what I
4: was, it's the distracting effect of it. When you were, even when you pulled up the article and and they were reeling through the examples of it, it's, it's not pleasant to look at and it doesn't get to the answer you want to get.
2: Exactly, exactly. Um, just, a, just a quick note on the generative AI thing. I I, I kind of I, – I still laugh every time I uh, – this is a little funny, but I, I still Google search for M-dash just to copy that <laughs> because I use that all the time. But now, like, I wonder how much processing power I've wasted on Google <laughs> well, for generating the, <laughs> the AI response. It's
3: giving the history <laughs> of the M-dash, is it like <laughs> – that's funny. <laughs> Um, well, um, I don't know. I was going to make some transition uh, into the next next story, but I'm just gonna I'm just going to uh, preface this with I'm about to rant, so I apologize, Mary, in advance. But um, one of my pet peeves is YouTube Music and podcast support. Um, so YouTube music over the past couple of uh, months, uh, this past year or so has been slowly adding podcasts into YouTube music, which makes sense. They want to compete with Spotify. They want to keep with a- compete with Apple. They want to, you know, have all your listening be in one place, except that YouTube music is not actually a music App the same way Spotify is. It's music delivered via video in the form of videos on YouTube. So why should podcasts be any different? And their whole approach to podcasts has been backwards and I've been very critical of it. Um, and then now it's funny to see this hit the news. I actually, kn- I heard about this a few weeks ago um, from talking to some folks that work at YouTube because um, YouTube music is going to be rolling out some upgrades for podcasts specifically. And as this subhead on Android Police that we're looking at in this story says, RSS feed support will soon be coming to the app. And at first glance, if you're a podcaster, you think, great, I'm going to be able to plug in my RSS feed and my podcast will be ingested into YouTube music the same way it works at Apple, the same way it works at Spotify, the same way it works at Pocketcast, the same way it works at every other game GD podcast app in the world. But no, YouTube music has to do it their own way. What they'll be doing is by the end of 2023, making it the ability for creators to ingest episodes via RSS. Okay, so that's an important distinction and that's why I'm going to explain it. What it will do is... The way podcasts work, RSS, really simple syndication. You publish a podcast, all your information is in the feeds. That goes out to a feed that people are subscribed to via Spotify, via Pocket Cast, via Apple. And if you change something in your feed, it is syndicated, and that change shows up on every app. Also, if you download or listen to a podcast, that metric flows back through the player, back to the podcast host, so that like us, our podcast, we can see X number of people downloaded this podcast and listened to it. By the way, thank you to everyone who listens to this podcast and downloads it. We appreciate it. Um, so you have one singular spot for your metrics. What YouTube Music is doing is taking that RSS feed and sucking your podcast out of your RSS feed and ingesting it into YouTube to make a video that can be released as a quote-unquote podcast but is severing the tether between your RSS feed and their app. So now no longer do you have one unified metric about how many download, how many people listen to your podcast, because now you need to look at all your podcast host data and your YouTube music data, right? Um, if you make a change to your show notes or to your title, it won't get picked up on YouTube because they're not subscribed to the RSS feed. They just ingested that data once. You have to go back and manually change it. This is like infuriates me. And now, Mary, I know you think I'm a crazy person, but infuriates me so much because it's YouTube. Ma- ma- manipulating and mangling what it means to be a podcast purely to get more video inventory on their platform ultimately to sell ads and it just bothers me so much so i'm sorry that that was my rant there about youtube music i, and, I don't think and, you're a crazy person okay good i'm glad thank you mary i appreciate it um but yeah it is just it, it is it is just so frustrating that and this news rolled out at the podcast move a conference that happened last week um so all it is is the way to add video up to your account and i it's not true podcasting and it just as a as a as a loyal podcaster of almost 20 years now this just pisses me off so i know
0: <laughs> it's just still this weird thing that they're trying to make youtube music a thing so i'm trying to make youtube music a thing and 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 in ways that from the name of the product just seem a little bit odd um so it just—I I was really excited when this when this article popped up because I was really, really—I don't I see – I was looking forward to the rant, Ron. So thank you, thank well, you for the Ron rant this week. I, I hope I hope it delivered. It's just—I listen. I'm passionate about podcasting. I mean, here I we're no,
3: here we're here yeah, every we're here, week, week yeah. right? Like we're we're talking about it, and I just I want it to work, and I want it to be good because I I like I use YouTube Music. It's my music platform. I want it. To, I want my podcast to be on there, and the way they're doing it, it's. Um, it's it's podcaster what's the word i'm looking for aggressive is too harsh it's like it's I don't know, it's it's just, it's it's hostile, that's the word I'm looking for. it's podcasts okay, yeah. are hostile like, why, the metrics alone, the, the podcast industry is, you know, millions, I don't know if it's billions yet, but million, maybe billions billions, of, let's say billions, billions of dollars of advertising revenue throws through podcasting and has flowed uh, flow, flow through podcasting, and it's all dependent on metrics, the IAB and podcasters and networks and apps have worked for years to set the standard, so we can say this is a download this is a listen, and YouTube is just throwing it out the window because it's because it doesn't suit their needs and it just it just pisses me off. I don't know. And they can
4: because it's
3: Google. Exactly, exactly. Um But hey, at least they don't get any personal personal. Identifiable I was just liberation. about to
4: say <laughs> you're playing in the privacy sandbox. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
3: Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, YouTube YouTube Music I uh, will until they get it right. I will continue to rail against them. I'm sorry. Uh, and I like people who work at YouTube. I like they're great. I've I've heard the product manager speak and talk about their vision and all this sort of stuff. I just don't agree with it. So. <sighs> oh well. Anyway, um all right, cool. Run along. Let's get through our last couple of bits here so we can let Mary get back to her family. But uh <laughs> um when, you got the next one? I do I do. Uh, oh no, Michelle. Oh, sorry, no, Michelle, no. Michelle sorry,
2: you're up. Right, yep. My bad. Yeah, so um this is basically a follow-up to a story that a controversy that happened earlier this year where uh users discovered that on their Samsung devices when they went to settings and storage that the what was reported as being the OS or system files was in the tens of gigabytes. So for example, if you had like an S 23 ultra um, some users were finding out that system was taking up like 60 gigabytes and users were outraged. Like why is the OS 60 gigabytes in size? Why is there so much bloatware? You know, why, why can't we use up all this storage? So uh, there was just like a lot of controversy and a lot of backlash against Samsung and other brands for, for, Um, What they thought was bloatware, but in actuality, it's kind of like a misunderstanding and kind of uh, two-prong, you know, users misunderstanding what was going on and also the OS kind of badly representing what was actually going on behind the scenes. So uh, in 1UI 6, it looks like Samsung's going to be fixing this by changing how it calculates what uh, comprises the system um, file. So previously the issues stem from basically, you know, if you're familiar with uh, any PC, you know, you buy a one terabyte hard drive, right? You expect it to be one billion, or sorry, one, one terabyte, you know, like clean zero, zero numbers. But when you insert it into your PC, you find out that, oh, you actually are missing several gigabytes of that storage. And the reason is because the way they market the storage is different than the actual uh, storage capacity that the OS, you know, sees. And that's because of the way that, computers work, you know, computers run on a base two system versus the marketing uses a base 10 system. And when you do that conversion, you end up losing, quote, quote, losing some capacity. You're not actually losing anything. Like, it's not actually physically you're losing space. It's just a difference in the way it's advertised versus uh, the OS sees it. And that's what was happening with Android. And because of, you know, Android lumping that all in system, it was causing some confusion. So basically, Samsung's clearing that up by saying, hey, no, this is not actually all system files. this is just you know uh here's what the actual os takes up and then for the rest of it we'll just put it up in other
3: all right I, I know that can be incredibly frustrating to not truly see that especially when it comes to bloatware and samsung is uh is guilty of that big time right i mean when you've you got your new samsung phone right you've been playing with it a ton?
0: Uh, no I um uh, the pixel fold has been taking over but that is definitely the ritual with new Samsung's phone is to disable as much bloatware as uh, uninstall slash disena- disable 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 as much disenable. bloatware as possible. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Mm. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for the
3: news. And real quickly, we want to tap uh, into you, the listener, um, in our community, because we love it when you all write in. I want to remind everybody you can email us by emailing at contact at androidfaithful.com. We want to hear what you think about everything we're talking about. And I'm happy to report uh, that Chuck and Thousand Oaks did write in this week uh, and when you've got the the first email.
0: Yeah. So hi again, Chuck. So Chuck writes us, It was interesting what your listener thought was good service from Google. Here is what I consider good service. My daughter had an out-of-warranty Note 10 on Verizon. She had the extended warranty policy through Verizon. She dropped her phone and totally shattered the screen. And as you know, those curved Note screens are very expensive to replace. couple hundred dollars at least. She called Verizon first thing in the morning. No problem at all getting someone on the phone in minutes. Verizon said there was a $29 deductible, but they'd come to her home to fix it. By late afternoon that same day, a repair service showed up at her doorstep and replaced the screen in about 20 minutes. Now that's the kind of service we should expect from everyone. Someone to talk to on the phone and home replacement service. There is something to be said for buying your phones from a major carrier instead of the manufacturer. Regards, Chuck in Thousand Oaks, California. And this is in
3: reference to the emailer last week on the show who who shared their experience about working with Google and getting their Pixel uh, 5A replaced with a 6A and getting it shipped in a week and all this sort of stuff. And honestly, this that's Verizon sent someone to our house and in, with, in the same day, within 20 minutes, got it replaced. That's that uh, that's good service. I'll give them that credit. That's pretty
0: good <laughs> for twenty nine dollars deductible. Not bad. I'm not a not Verizon customer,
3: but that uh, it, yeah, that's that's crazy. That's good stuff. Well, thank you, Chuck. Um, and our last email comes in from Craig from Scotland. I love getting international emails. Uh, Craig writes in. He says, I, I, I remember in the early days of All About Android, our previous show, there was talk of seeing androids in the wild. My wife and I were at the gym a couple of weeks ago, and there were only two other people there. I noticed they both had Pixel phones. So that meant everyone in the gym that day was using a Pixel. <laughs> Crazy in the coconut. Which, by the way, is my new favorite phrase, crazy in the coconut. Thank you, Craig. I love you for that. Um, cheers, says Craig. And thank you, Craig, for writing in. Yes, indeed. We love, uh, getting reports of Android in the wild. Back in the day, it was the Samsung Galaxy Note. That was our first, like, has anybody actually seen anybody on the subway? That, that's always my litmus test. It, like, when foldables are coming out, I was like, great. Yeah. Is there anybody out in the wild actually using foldables or not? And sure enough, there were, which is pretty cool. So. All right, and that will wrap up our show. Reminder, you can email us at contact at Android Faithful. We want to hear from you. Please write in. We're, we're not getting as many emails as we were earlier in, in the summer, so uh, get get to your email clients and, and, and start asking your questions or share your stories. Uh, we appreciate it. Um all right, well that's gonna wrap us up. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. Uh we really appreciate you sitting through our, our Android nonsense. So <laughs> had a great time. Thank you. <laughs> so, so everybody can find what you do over at Awesome Privacy. That's osomprivacy.com. Um d- definitely check it out. We thank them for the support of the show. And Mary, we thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. Excellent. All right, cool. Michelle, you wanna you wanna plug the people?
2: Yeah, thanks. Uh so, you know, as I mentioned last time I was on, you know, I started up a Patreon of my own. So for those of you who want to support my Android reporting on the web, um, if you want to see me continue to do all that stuff, mostly on social media, you want to see some exclusive scoops that I post on occasion on my Patreon, uh, feel free to go to patreon.com slash It's, you know, minimum $3 a month if you can spare it. You know, also, of course, you should subscribe to the show so you can support this show as well. But uh, if you can spare also some to support me, I'd appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Awesome. Well, thank you, Michelle. It's good to have you back. We missed you. Although we did, while you were gone, we did have stories that referenced your tweets. So oh, you, just like you, constantly. Yeah, while so you weren't here, hear. you're always like Roz and <laughs> Monsters, Inc. You're always watching. Always, 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 here in always judging. So, <laughs> um, All right, cool. Wynn, why don't you uh, plug away?
0: Yeah, so I'm an Android developer. That is my day job. You can find things about my day job and other side hustles that I do at my website, randomlytyping.com. If you're interested in my technical talks about Android stuff, uh, there's the talks, links to videos and code there. And if you are a social media type person, you can generally find me at CodeMonkey in places. Um, and if that person isn't me, let me know. I just need to know. I just need to, I need to squat. I need to squat the screen name wherever I can. Oh, and by the way, I got my, you can't, it's not on my watch six classic. Um, so I am going to give it a shot. And maybe if y'all are interested in knowing what the watch six classic is like, uh, as, especially as someone who doesn't often use a smartwatch, um, let me know right in and l- let me know. Uh, maybe I can do a little review or something of it. Yeah. So.
3: We, okay. I, we're going to hold you to that one. You, you, you should.
0: So. Only if you write in and like Excellent. ask
3: for it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cool. And lastly, I uh, can be found on the internet at Ronxo. Um, whether it's X or Twitter, whatever. I don't know.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I think TikTok. I'm the Ronxo, but I never post on TikTok, so I don't even go looking for me there. Um, I'm on Threads. I'm on Instagram. Instagram. I'm most active on. You can find me here. Uh, always love to hear from everybody. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, and additionally, as Michelle said, uh, we want to remind everybody and thank everybody for supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Um There you can sign up for uh, as low as $5 a month uh, where you get uh, access to the Pick a Story for us to talk about on the show. Get access to our Discord um, for $10 a month. You get all that plus an ad-free version of this podcast. Um, and then, of course, for $20 a month, you get all that plus an exclusive T-shirt which a couple of people have ordered, which is pretty exciting. And I do want to remind everyone, we do have a crazy level for $500 a month. Uh, you can come on the show. You help us do the show. That's all. No one's done it yet. I'm shocked. Uh, but we'll see if someone does, because uh, that's a fun thing. Um, so thank you. Go to patreon.com slash androidfaithful, and we thank everyone for their support. And we thank you for listening to the show. Uh, you you are the reason why we do it, the Android community. We love you. Um, but that's going to wrap us up for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, this podcast publishes every Tuesday night um, and you can go to androidfaithful.com where you can find subscribe links uh, as well as links to all of our social media, etc. Um, and of course, as I mentioned, you can email us at contact at androidfaithful.com. And that's going to wrap it up for this week. We'll see you next time on Android Faithful.